weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm a big John Stamos fan, as I know all of you are. We had a lot of listeners when they heard that he was going to be the guest this week. Really excited. And John, three-time Emmy nominee. He's a wonderful actor. He's a producer. He's done it all, television, film, and Broadway. And you may have seen him in General Hospital. He's done so many wonderful things, Full House, on stage, in cabaret. In fact, John, I was at the theater the night, I think it was the locomotive as part of the right. scene, yes. broke. Bye-bye, Bertie. Yeah. And Bye Bye Birdie. And I still remember with the audience, we were like, how could that happen? That doesn't happen. And Very we nice. sat there and waited and waited. But we mm. all ended up like suddenly we had hundreds of best friends sharing yeah. you in the theater. Do you remember when that? Of the- course. Hey, first, can I say thank you so much for having me? It's such an honor to be on your show. You've thank been good you. to me for many, 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 many years. And I have this book that came out and I and I one of my most important things was to talk about the theater because, you know, I mean, I've done five shows out there, but people don't you know, if you didn't see it, people don't know. And it's so I had great stories about each one. But the Bye Bye Birdie story, um, the the beauty of of that night was that I had some friends in the audience. Do you remember? And um, and I had so they said, uh, yeah, the big train going into Apple City or whatever it was called broke down. It was like with big gears. You know, it was very scary. It was like one of the first nights or opening night. And so there were a lot of people there and they said, uh, the curtain goes down and they say, John, get out there and, and ad lib, talk to the people. I'm like, what? Just go out there. So I'm hello everybody. And I went, you know, talk like that. And I was running out of stuff yeah, to you talk were about. I remember you were talking, talking, talking. And I thought, yes, what's going to happen to this guy? <laughs> right. More and then, and then I hear something, someone on the audience heckling me and it was Bob Saget. So Bob comes running down the aisle and he slams his knee on the front of the stage and jumps up with me. Turns out that he broke his kneecap and dealt with it later. So Bob and I are doing some stuff and Bob was talking. And I had the head mic, you know, because of, you know, we were doing the show. And so there was a microphone through my hair and was coming out of my forehead. And so Bob was talking to my forehead and said, it's a good thing they didn't mic your crotch. Um, and <laughs> that's Bob Saget. And then, uh, then we just hear this uh, voice out of the audience going, Get a haircut, Stamos. When, when is this going to be over? Do we have to pay for tickets? And it was Rickles. Oh, my so fa- he, one of my favorites. <laughs> we grabbed a microphone, and he just, you know, laid into me for about five minutes. And then um, Gina Gershon came out. And then was like, where's Bill Irwin? That guy can do anything. And so he came. So it was a show within the show. And then I think we train started working again, and we finished the show. But it was quite yeah. a night. It was quite a night for those of us in the audience, too. That mm-hmm. I mean, that's a night that I'm not going to forget because Those are the it was fun, yeah, unreal, sure. right? Yeah, for sure. Those are the fun things. I know you talk about them on your show sometimes with some some actors and of like the things that go wrong or you know, I ripped my pants. I remember the first one of the first shows in uh, uh, How to Succeed in Business. Um, but the theater, like you said, it's the heart of New York, and we need to keep talking about it. But I never grew up thinking that I was going to be on Broadway. It wasn't like I'm going to get to Broadway someday. Um, but I knew I had to do something after Full House because, I mean, God, it was, you know, it was a beautiful show. It's still, people are still talking, talking about it today. Talking about it. 
But um, but I felt like, oh no, now what do I? Do? I got to. I uh, Jack Klugman was my first mentor over the years, and he was a big, obviously a big theater guy. And, he, and I said, what do I do, Jack? I've been playing this mullet-headed idiot, you know, for eight years. He said, Get to the theater. I said, well, I've never really done it. He said, well, you. He said, you could hold the stage, hold the stage. I said, I'm not a great singer. Tell the story with the song, you know. And so the audition came up to, to, to replace Matthew Broderick. And it's to which when I was writing this book, I went like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, why, can I, why did I think I could replace him and be there? But it was a, you know, I just did it. Like, I think I try to get across in the book that um, my parents never put up obstacles. If there was something I, I wanted to do, they said, go for it. But study hard, be a good person and work, work your tail off and be nice. And so I think that's what got me there. And then that was incredible, though. That was like... Uh, I remember auditioning. I, I had to audition for Des. You know, I went Des Maganoff and went to his apartment there in, um, uh, in uh, I can't remember where he lived, but he had a brownstone. And it was the day the OJ uh, trial was was going to, the verdict was coming out that day. And he was very much into it. I needed help on this audition. I'm like, Des, you know, he said, oh, no, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. And he just yeah. sort of watched the news the rest of the day. And I um, know. Then I, yeah. But you also grew up with a mom who, you know, you can do it. You can do anything. And yeah. whatever it is you want to do, I put, I put my faith in you. You can do it. Yeah. And I'm that's happy. a great gift. And you also, you knew, you know, a lot of people have luck. And sometimes they don't say hello to it. They let it go by. And I always felt that you seize the moment and mm. made it work. And that's, yeah, well, a, a, that's a gift. Well, I think you're right. Like, it, it, it's not, well, certainly in the theater and singing and dancing, it wasn't my talent. But I did have some lucky breaks. And you're right, I embraced the luck. I didn't, I didn't shun it off or didn't go, I'm, I'm good enough without luck. I was in the right place at the right time for a lot of that. Um, and then it was also just trusting myself. The next one after How to Succeed in Business was um, Cabaret. And I was like, oh, yeah. what the hell? How did I get myself into this? I remember when I first, you know, started doing it. And there was a lot of interesting moments there where it was like, it was, it was during How to Succeed in Business, I had a press agent for the longest time, a Greek guy named Greg Aliopoulos, and he passed away of AIDS. And I just couldn't get, it, was a, it really killed me that he was gone and that he wasn't there to see me. And I really relied on him for the, uh, to play the MC, you know, his-, his That's his, the uh, toughest. Guidance kind of, yeah. And that was, uh, that character was, I didn't know what I was gonna do, I mean, and people were coming in expecting to see Uncle Jesse because it wasn't that far off the full house. And people were walking out. And I remember talking to Sam Mendez. I said, what am I doing wrong? He said, nothing. You're doing it right. <laughs> so from then on, I was trying to get people just to be so shocked by, by, my, by my, what I was doing there. But that was an yeah. incredible. Uh, that was the best, probably the, my, uh, professionally the best moment of my life. I loved that show. It was the perfect time. As you know, it was a super hit. And Sam Mendez and Rob Marshall. And beautiful. And it was a tough, tough role, too. I remember seeing you in that. And, I, you know, when you love theater and you go, when I was a little kid, my mom would pick me up at the Neighborhood Playhouse because uh, I was destined, I thought, to be the world's greatest actress. Why did, what happened? Did you, did you do any theater yourself? Did yeah, you, I did, I did uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of off-Broadway, yeah. but, you know, the old joke, when the relatives stopped coming, the show closed. <laughs> so, yeah. I would have come. Yeah, oh, ne Why did next, you give up? Next Why did time. you stop? 
I, you know, I, I've always been in love with theater, but mm -hmm. I, out of the blue, I got a radio job. I had nothing. I knew nothing about radio, and they said we we had a guy who was insulting everyone, and we were being sued. That was the mm -hmm. station, and we want someone who's nice. That was. They didn't talk about talent or anything. They said someone who's nice. Okay. So I figured, never look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, Embrace I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, right? Hello, luck. Yeah. And and that that's how it started. And then, you know, I watched people like you, John, who we knew from television and everything. And it was amazing. You could end up doing anything and playing very difficult roles too and everyone believed you and that too yeah. is a I great came in, gift. I came in with an enormous amount of respect and, and an enormous amount of please teach me I don't know what I'm doing this is your medium all the, and I ended up working with some very very lovely people over the years in, in all those shows um, the next one after uh, the next one after Cabaret I knew I, I, I went to see nine with Antonio and it was during the previews and I, we kind of knew him. My wife, my ex-wife knew him a little bit and it was early on. And I remember watching the show and it was he wasn't great and he didn't get it. I didn't think he was that funny. Couldn't it wasn't singing great. And I was like, because I'd worked with Roundabout. I said, you know what? They're going to call me to replace him in a year. And I got to tell myself right now. No, no, this is a weird show. I don't get it. Blah, blah, blah. And then sure enough, Sydney, right, Sydney Beers called and said, do you want to go back to Cabaret? We loved you over there. Or do you want to take over nine? I went, man, I should challenge myself. And, you know, Antonio was just so-so. So I auditioned for, for David Laveau, and I get the gig. And then I come back a couple of weeks later to start rehearsals, and I decide I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch Antonio one more time just to see what, you know. And as I'm pulling onto that street, it was packed. And it was so much excitement. And I remember ask, telling, asking the drivers, like, what's going on? Is the president in town? What's going on? And he said, like, like it was a warm, creamy soup. He said, Antonio. I'm like, Antonio, what? And, it, and he was just, this is last night, last week, and everybody's coming to see him. I said, oh, okay. I went into the theater, and there was this nice usher boy who I sat on the stairs, and he said, uh, there's a rumor that you're taking over this role. I said, no, 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 because it hadn't been out yet. And he said, oh, thank God, because, you know, we like you and all, but you couldn't replace. Nobody could replace this guy. And the curtain goes up, and Antonio's fantastic. I mean, brilliant. You, you, you probably saw him in it. And I, I was did. like, oh, my God, how can I do that? I was, oh, you know. And it was just goes to show you, you know. And um, I came into that, and that was a – I consider that a failure for me. I mean, I learned a lot, but I closed the show. I couldn't keep it open. I didn't have – I was 40, and I wasn't – I, I wasn't Guido for 40. I was me for it. I had a lot of light in my eyes. And I just didn't have the weight to play it. Um, so after closing the show and not soon after I got a divorce, it was like, it was ironic because now I could play it, you know, being. Uh, <laughs> you had all that yeah, aggravation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, you could, and it was a great role, and you did play it. And I'll tell you what else, um, which to us, the audience, you do. You had a lot of heavy hitters working with you. I mean, a lot of my heroes. I love Don Rickles. I always thought he was one of the funniest guys in the whole world. And you, when you work with those guys, you give them a lot of space. You're really good to the, you know, it's... We can appreciate their performances for what they are without taking anything away from you. Oh. And not every actor can do that. You know, yeah, you... I believe in propping everyone up around me, especially those guys. I mean, I, you know, Don was a special man in my life. He was, I was always gravitating towards these uh, male mentors. Gary Marshall was, you know, he, he was instrumental even in me getting full house, but he was uh, sort of my godfather forever. And I think he was there that night too, uh, Bye Bye Birdie. But I just, I just love these guys, and I had so much to learn. I still do. And I think when they saw that I wasn't, that I just wanted to learn from them, uh, they used to call me the sponge. I just ask questions and be around. Then they, they let me, you know, into their world. Don, you know, when, when him and I really connected, he was not, people thought he was dead. You know, they didn't know Don Rickles was still alive. He was the funniest man on the planet, like you said. And he was playing Vegas and whatever. And I just, I just paid attention to him. And then we started doing these, you know, the Mr. Warmth, this documentary and tributes to him. And so then he finally got his, you know, his due. Uh, people really realized right. that he was the best. Um, and then, you know, going into these shows, uh, I was always trying to, too hard, trying to gain legitimacy. Hey, I'm a Broadway guy. And you would think that it would resonate back in Hollywood. Didn't always. I mean, they weren't, pay, they, they do pay attention, but. It was more the other way around that actors were coming from Hollywood because they had a name and getting on stage and, you know, either being good or not being good. But I always wanted to um, to be respected, obviously. Who doesn't? But I was trying too hard. At it. But I but the end of the run of Best Man, you know, the Gorby doll play, right. the great James Earl Jones and Angela Lansbury. I mean, that was an incredible turning point in my career, in my life, in my in my mind, really, because I felt. This is it. I got it. And I, I, I became close with James during that time. He called me uh, Little John. I called him Big Daddy. And I just follow him around the stage going, this is CNN. This is CNN. <laughs> um, and he was a wonder. He still is alive, obviously. But we, he would do warm-ups with us. And, you know, he was just, you, you probably met him and had him on there. What, a, what an incredibly, right. you know, towering thing of talent and love and heart. And so it was the last, uh, it was the last show. And we were walking across the stage and, uh, I, I was just the two of us, and I put my hand. I said, "Big Daddy, like you did something for me that no one has. You've given me a real sense of legitimacy, and I know in my heart that people see me in a different way now. And I could never thank you enough." And he said, "That's okay, big little John. You go." Just then, the stage door opens, and all the people are out in front, and they're screaming, they're going, "Uncle Jesse, Uncle Jesse, say have mercy, say have mercy!" And I'm, I wanted, I couldn't even look at him in the face after that. Here I was bloviating about, and we walk out and sign some autographs, and I'm, I want to just crawl down the street and run as fast as I can. And 
I couldn't look at him. And just then I kind of took a look and I see a, a guy in the, in the crowd hold his phone up to James and say, James, could you say, Luke, I am your father? Luke, I am your father? And I was like, <laughs> you know what? F it. Like, you call me anything you want. Uh, if James Earl Jones is still getting that, then, you know, that's a real it, interesting moment. I know. I, he's great. And you did a wonderful job in your new book. I'm talking to John Stamos. If uh, you would have told me. And yeah. it's a wonderful read. And not only about his coming of age. And believe me, yeah. if I loved that you never would have put or thought Broadway was part of your future because you were an early television guy and you did a whole bunch of stuff. But it wasn't Broadway, me. right? And right. then, then Broadway, and yeah. there you are embracing it, and it embraced you. When you finished well, writing the book, did you feel good about yourself? Like, hey, I did all this. <laughs> what a what a great question! Nobody's asked me that. You know, yes, it was a, it was. I, I I realized it was like three hundred thirty pages of gratitude of of wow. I didn't think I had. I didn't think I could write a book, just the writing of it. I didn't, I didn't have, the, I didn't think I had that skill and I didn't think anybody would be interested. And I didn't think my life was that, you know, that worthy of, a, of writing about, but as I'm writing it, I discovered my story and I, and I made me look back at, wow, I've been, first of all, incredibly lucky. I've had a lot of love around me. I, I disrespected uh, all that for a moment and I straightened myself back up. So there was all that kind of storytelling, but yes, I look now and I go, wow, I, I have done a lot. And I, but mostly it's a love letter to all the people that have been so good to me over the years. And I've, I've had the chance to be around a lot of great people like you, Joan. Yeah. If you would have told me that I'd be on this show one day. <laughs> Listen, if you would have told me that that kid who we all thought was so adorable and so charming and so wonderful would grow up to be such a superb actor and be able to fill so many different possibilities, you know, good for you. I mean, brought, what's yeah. harder than Broadway? And yeah. you sort of took it over. And I'm sure you well, didn't think you could in the beginning. No, no, and I still, I'm still scared about it. I, I sometimes, I, I had a little video of, of how to succeed or a couple of these things. Oh, also um, Cabaret. And when I would go on auditions or big meetings and stuff that I was nervous about, I would I would look at that and go, if you could do that, man, you know, this thing coming up is easy. But I want to say something great about you, Joan, is that you, you've always been positive about the theater. You know, and there can be some, most of the time they were pretty nice to me, not always, but I, there can be some snarkiness and some cold, you know, sort of um, just mean, they mean. And you've always been the opposite of that. And in a world now where we want to get people back into the theater, where we, where we need, you know, good entertainment, where we need a place to go for two or three hours and be happy and forget about the world. And you're out there promoting it and you've been positive about it and you're good about it and you're kind about it. And that's really important. And I thank you for that. Well, and I thank all of you guys when, when you think, even from the time I was a little kid, to mm -hmm. sit in a dark theater as the lights are going dimmer and dimmer, and you can almost sense, it's like breathing, the curtain is gonna go up any minute and you're gonna be taken to a different place. What could be magical, better it? than that? It's magic. And we need you that now. The world is so crummy in part. 
that. Yeah, we that's need, what I'm saying. So thank right? you for promoting it. You know, there's the, there's that moment too, and, and um, where which I never thought about, but like what you're talking about, you sit in that theater. There's thousands of people getting ready to be entertained. Thousands of entertainers getting ready to entertain. But unlike Hollywood or other places making movies, TV shows, it's all in that same eight block radius, and it all happens at eight o'clock. Like it's like a spark that you that's undeniable, yeah. right? Right. Like exactly. Boom! Right at eight o'clock, it's pow. You know, there's nothing like it to be in the audience, which I love doing. I was just at um, Gutenberg a couple of weeks ago. I loved watching Josh and and Andrew. Boy, that was a treat. And being on the stage doing doing it sometimes too. It's like there's nothing like it. So people out there, get to the theater, right, Joan? No, right. Really get to the theater. And it's your escape. I mean, it's you don't need shrinks if you can go to the theater and it's a lot less expensive, <laughs> yeah. too. Right. No, right. it's it is our salvation. So the book is done and you're busy promoting it. Are you in a good place with it now? I mean, what is your do you think about next steps or you've got with theater and television and writing you're fulfilled i have a son and a wife and that's what fulfills me now i'm so grateful that's that I, I love the pictures of them beautiful yeah. people well they're nice they're good hearted but my wife is a, has the biggest heart she loves theater she goes all the time her and her mother she, they go out here to la they have uh, whatever that membership at one of the big theaters here uh and she always says that's her favorite thing to see but I, but I, yeah, I have projects, and, and everybody, a lot of people, certainly when I'm in New York, they're, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? I don't know, man. I, it, you know, it would have to be that I, I look at these people on on stage now eight times a week. And go, can I do that again? I don't know. But it was the highlight of my of course career you can. In my life. <laughs> but right now, I'm spending. Time, I have stuff, you know, professional stuff. But I'm just, I'm, I'm loving. I finally learned at sixty to just really love the little moments, not the the big moments. Don't really define. I hope. For me, anyway, they don't define you. It's the little moments, the microtransactions, and then getting like I wanted to be a father so bad my whole life, and now I am, and I've just stopped feeling like I got to be here, I got to do this, I got to do that. When I'm with him, or when I'm with my wife, even I was just like, okay, nothing's that important right now. Let's just focus in on. The other day, I bought Billy a a, a drink, a boba drink, and you would think that I gave this kid a million dollars. He was screaming, jumping up and down. I was like, I love this. These are the moments you have to just suck up and, and enjoy. So that's what's on my plate right now. Without question. Well, continue enjoying your beautiful family. Thank you for the book. I really loved reading it. And you'll come visit me again. All the best to you, John. We'll do it live. It's an honor John to be on your Stamos. show, John. I thank you. God bless you. And, and thank you again. Anytime, honey. We'll talk soon. Okay. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC.